Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Oh, speaking of smart. (laughs) Remember that time two weeks ago when we were like, I know how science works. (laughs) We don't. Oh, yeah. I still, like, okay, so, like, carbon dioxide. Yes? That's what the verdict was? No, monoxide. Fuck. I don't trust it anymore. Hang on, let me look at my fucking notes. They're right in front of me. (sighs) I hate myself. The point is, we don't know for sure. Both can kill you in certain quantities. Carbon dioxide was what the problem was. Okay. Yes. Yep. Thank you to all our... Smarter thank you to the science friends. side of this podcast. Yes, thank, you. <laughs> thank you, Science Paranormal Squad. Uh, <laughs> one of my husband, who my husband's very one sciencey. of my husband's <laughs> favorite things, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to the oh. <laughs> many men I keep on a leash. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, he likes to watch me try and do math. Oh. Yeah. So he's just like, it's not your fault, babe. You're a humanities student. Yeah. There's actually, so I had to relearn math um, to take the GRE, which is frankly rude. They should just have a humanities version of the GRE. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) So there's a video out there somewhere of me and I think Amelia trying to do a math problem and it is frankly sad (laughs) it's very it's it's a little depressing to watch i'm really useful through 10th grade calculus and then after that i found weed i did not make it to calculus i have no idea the first thing about that i barely made it through trig (laughs) i honestly i'm i'm much much better at algebra trig geometry that sort of stuff i can do calculus if i have to but you know what we're not here we're not here to do math or science. Thank We're here God. to tell you stories about esoteric points in history. <laughs> and like things that might not even be true. Yeah, like, things that may The hard ma- sciences can get hard <laughs> fucked. I'm not about it. We're doing the soft sciences even softer because we're not even like properly sorting all of this information. <laughs> Frankly, I think a bunch of si- the science side of this podcast is haunted is probably offended that we said we're doing the science side of anything. Yeah. We are not. <laughs> I think it's a social science in some Is it? Some areas. No. It's okay. Science never belongs in the same sentence as me, so Yeah. I I mean like I'm sure eventually both of us will be studied by scientists. Oh, I deeply but... hope so. I am I really want to go to a body farm, David. I will make sure that dream must... happens for you. Thank you, because I don't think he wants that and I will say fuck you. I'm going to rot in the middle of a field for science. Yeah. If somebody gives me shit about it, I'll just steal your body in the night. What do you weigh? Six pounds? This is my will. This is my audio will right now. I know. It's fine. I'll I'll tuck. If nobody's going to let you happen, I will tuck you into my bra and smuggle you out of your own funeral. Ooh. And uh, leave you in a field. (laughs) Oh, I just had a... hmm. As per your wishes. I just had a thought about how that would have to logistically work. And it was grim. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You'd be so warm, like a baby bird. Yeah, and you'd have, I'd probably also be in pieces. <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't picturing that. I was going to wear you like a boa. 
<laughs> oh, just oh. wrap you around and under. <laughs> That's a lovely picture to start out on. <sighs> so, uh, this show is called. <laughs> oh God! This podcast is haunted. I'm Kate, uh, <laughs> the person who's smuggling bodies in her boobs. I want to draw uh, of that. <laughs> All right, art side of this podcast is haunted. See what you can do. Uh, uh, that's Jen. She okay. wants to be left to a body farm. You guys are caught up now. What are we talking about today, Jen? <laughs> oh, this is going to be great. We had a lot to talk about um, last time for Vegas. I mean, it's, it's really just the, the very tip of the iceberg that we covered. So we thought um, it would be appropriate. Iceberg, right ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Sorry, I've had there's three shots of vodka in this glass, and it That's is three fourths right. of the way gone. That's right. So I forgot. I'm about... only gonna get weirder. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you talking about? Vegas. Vegas. So we're gonna do. We're coming back for part two of it. Also shocking. We're not gonna cover everything there is to cover about Vegas because, frankly, every single hotel is haunted in that yeah. city. And like a couple of bathrooms and places that aren't even towns anymore. Like yeah. Vegas is aggressively haunted. There's a lot to see. And today I'm super desperate to think about warm places because it is Armageddon here in West Michigan. I am looking out the window, which is surprising because usually we record at night. And so I can't usually see anything. But it is just a grim, frozen hillscape. So the desert sounds really nice. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go there. Get Get in a plane. Quit grad school. Let's go to that uh, huge drain of water and resources that is Vegas. And it's a city that shouldn't be there, probably. But The majority of Vegas water is actually shipped out of the Great Lakes. Y'all are fucking welcome. Yep, the other half goes to Nestle. Fill me with rage! (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Uh, At least the Vegas people fucking pay for their water. Uh, no, it's fine. You guys well, should look up Nestle in Michigan if you want to be real angry. Mm. So, speaking of anger, it's harder to get much angrier than an Italian mobster. Oh. Jen, who's your guy? He's not Italian. Fun He's fact. not? He's not He's just Italian. a mobster who's... He's Jewish. Oh, you don't hear a lot about that kind of mobster. Oh, no. there. I mean, there was actually a huge um, faction of the Jewish mob. Like, that's... Cool. Yeah, in New York. I will tell you about it. All right, I'd start from the top, baby. Okay, so... Me and my vodka and pineapple are here to learn. (laughs) Well, buckle up. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so Benjamin, a.k.a. Bugsy Siegel, was born in Brooklyn on February 28th, 1906, to Jewish immigrants. He grew up in Williamsburg, which is the home of many Irish and Italian gangs. So this was, you know, kind of a rough place to grow up. He kind of grew up on the street with locals and learned how to do crimes. Um, (laughs) Not very specific, but that's, you know, it was a long time ago. In 1918, Siegel became friends with another local, quote, young street rough named Meyer... Meyer... I'm sorry, I'm from Michigan. It's spelled M-E-Y-E-R. Meyer. Yes? Probably. Lansky. Meyer Lansky. I'm just going to pronounce it that way. You know what? So together they formed the Bugs Meyer gang of Jewish mobsters. 
proving that you can grow up in America to be anything. Yeah, exactly. Anyone can be a mobster. You're not. You don't have to be held back by your cultural heritage. That's right. Do you think there's a Dutch mob out there somewhere? Oh, probably. there has to be. There's they probably be. run this town that I'm in. Oh yeah, that's right. That's just the DeVosses. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. Topical. Oh, <laughs> depressing because I still live here. Yes, and I will be coming back. Oh dear. Yeah, there's. I mean, I don't think they were the only Jewish mobsters either. Like it was, it was a thing. It's not quite as well known as the Italian mob, but you know, it's every. Basically, every ethnic group has its own mob at some point of in time. Of course, yeah. Like, they, they needed a mob literally to get by. If you're watching the movie The Godfather, mm-hmm. you see all the good things Don Corleone does for the community. Because exactly. that's what they're doing. They're consolidating their power in order to better their community. Yes. The, the system was rigged against every institution that now has a mafia. It's, it's, it's a response to oppression. Yeah. Well, and it's also, like, it's, it's kind of follows like you know patterns of social organization from the past like you can see it a lot in feudalism where you have the all-powerful lord who's like i will protect you if you give me money and loyalty exactly and you if i can call on you in a crisis if you will be my banner man Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's it's the oldest way our society's organized all the way back to the vikings yeah and some would say it still works that way but just the corporate overlords are now the heads of the Okay, this is getting this podcast will anger um, you. Yep. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we're trying to stay fun and lighthearted. So the Bugs Meyer gang, uh, they would extort money from street vendors, uh, probably in exchange for protection or something, which was often like protection from themselves or from other mobsters. It's just that's it's a corrupt system, but that's the way it works. They also threatened other urban enemies at. This time in the early 1900s, it was kind of a buck wild time for organized crime in New York because things hadn't yet officially organized. So Charles Lucky Luciano um, hired four gunmen from the Lansky Siegel gang, which is the, you know, the two buddies, Siegel and his friend, Mayer. Um, uh, One of the gunmen might have been Siegel himself. He hires them to murder another crime boss, Salvatore Maranzano. I'm not Italian, guys. It's fine. They wanted to establish Luciano as the top of the mafia, and that marks the beginning of modern American organized crime. Ooh. Yeah. How groundbreaking. I know. They're they're a bunch of trailblazers, these guys. So Luciano formed the National Crime Syndicate and creates the Commission, which is a coalition of five crime families in New York. So each... Really? Yeah. I did not know that. They got together five different bosses? Yeah. Were they all from one ethnicity or? Um, I think they were probably mostly Italian. So interestingly, most major cities in the U.S. at this time had a single crime family that was kind of running things. And so New York was really unique in that they had more than one crime family that was powerful. So, I mean, it's it makes sense because it is so huge. Um, right. So they just kind of marked out their territory and they came to this agreement and they had this alliance of like five different families. So I'm sure they worked very hard to kind of like draw out the details of who owned what and <laughs> where that each person's so territory was. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, in, in, so like there was the top five crime families, but then they had the lesser crime families that would kind of act as, you know, like their bannermen where they were kind of like hired by this one family or they had loyalty to one family, but they were also their own smaller family. So it was really this kind of like very intricate network (laughs) of organized crime. So Siegel and his gang kind of become the enforcement arm of the Luciano gang so he and his associates form what is called and I'm sh- you've probably heard of this murder incorporated i know a rap song called murder inc really okay. or a label oh so it is yeah it's it's i had heard of it before i i think i don't honestly i don't know where so yeah murder inc is kind of their cheeky name for their basically hitman squad <laughs> there is a record label called murdering okay good to know so yeah this this murder inc which is not the same as the record label it's the enforcement arm of the italian american mafia and the jewish mob they are believed to be responsible for between 400 and 1000 contract killings wow that's a lot of bodies between what time period this is probably still 30s to 40s um a thousand people in a decade yeah it's like one person every three days i mean that might have extended further but it's yeah it's still a lot of people yeah like man people were just dying all the time back then the murder rates were insane so like as much as things are horrible now we have to keep remembering that the murder rate has decreased (laughs) true it's just also it's i mean yeah it's just insane to kind of conceptualize what that is like because it already seems insane right now like there's just so much death and destruction that's reported on the news and to think that it's like a fraction of what it used to be well they just didn't report on it right the news is different not not the events you know like there's they have a 24-hour news cycle to fill yeah and so they're taking up everything what you know you're more aware now of murders that are happening in chicago that don't affect us and we wouldn't have known about back in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Interesting, though. <sighs> anyway, so by the late 30s, Siegel was one of the top hitmen for Luciano, and he was also being watched by the police in New York. So he decided to kind of get out of there while he still yeah. could. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. So he heads to sunny Southern California. He kind of had this dream to set up his own kind of empire of gambling dens offshore gambling ships uh, because i think at this time gambling is not legal in california i honestly don't know if it's legal there now Um, i don't believe in the united states there's any legal gambling save for that of on sanctioned native american land because that's not even in vegas well, Vegas is a state. There's a Nevada Vegas Gaming Commission. Gotcha. Um, so the only, I think that's the only state that has that. And all mm. the other states, the lotteries and gambling, if they're not on Native American reservation land, then there's state-sanctioned lotteries like Powerball. Okay. And of course, I'm, I'm hardly a gaming lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just my impression of watching a lot of TV. Okay. Yeah, so suffice to say at this time in california gambling is not like 
legal so they had to do you know the undercover and and the nice thing about the ships is that they they go far enough offshore to be in international waters to be in international waters where it doesn't matter they'd actually do that in michigan too they'd like go out into the middle of lake michigan and then be like oh we don't know what state we're in so you can't prosecute us it's actually they don't do it in lake michigan they do do it in lake huron oh so because lake michigan is the only great lake that is a thousand percent inside u.s borders Mm -hmm. all of it is it doesn't matter they know exactly which state you're in but in if you go out into the middle of lake huron if you're five miles out in either direction, you're in boundary waters, mm-hmm. and no, the laws don't matter as much. Well, there, a lot of human trafficking goes through there too. Before we get all excited about plan slots. Oh, I mean, I find casinos to be immensely depressing, so I am not super excited about any of this. <laughs> There's a Wizard of Oz slots machine that I'm a big fan of, but oh, okay. I mean, like, I think I've spent less than sixty bucks on a slot machine ever in my life. So yeah. I've never been um, to a casino, but it's it's not something I ever want to do. Because you know why you go to a casino? It's got dope food, and you get to smoke inside like it's still the '80s. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, what a relic. Okay, indeed. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. So anyway, so he wanted to, he wanted to have this gambling empire, but he which also included like a prostitution ring. So also not great. Eh, it depends. Yeah, and I wasn't sure what the correct term for that was. Prostitution, sex work. I mean, it's it's well, it depends on how much force is involved. Yes. If a if a woman chooses to engage in sex work. Go with God. Yeah. If somebody's being forced, then we have a problem. Yeah, I imagine. Much like the Hollywood system at this time, it wasn't super, like, liberating. Yeah, you're probably right. But (laughs) I'm not, I'm just, you know, I want to cover my bases. We are a sex-positive show. Yes. This guy, probably problematic. Um, (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Super. Um, So he also, uh, because he started all these kind of gambling dens, he also got to know the... um, the like rich people and movie stars of, of Hollywood. He would throw huge parties. He would go to big parties, um, and he just became in with the Hollywood elite. Which probably also he, he probably also used his mob ties to get connected with people. He started an affair because apparently he was married, but like no one. I haven't seen any mention of who his wife actually was. So apparently, she doesn't Ouch. matter. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and she might not have even come with him. Maybe she was back home in New York. Yeah, I honestly have no idea. So he started an affair with actress Virginia Hill, who, like, this is the thing that annoyed me. I was reading, like, all these articles, like, about, you know, his life and reading through his Wikipedia naturally. And it just was like, yeah, actress Virginia Hill. And then I saw her linked to another thing. Apparently, she also is, was called the queen of the mob. Because she was, like, very in the mob in her own right. Like, she grew up in Chicago, and she acted as a cash courier for mobsters through the 30s and 40s. And so she dated other mobsters before. And so she was, like, very deep in it when she got into a relationship with Siegel. So. Wow. Yeah. I I obviously don't know what she looks like, but I'm... Because all of my, like, crime experience is through, like, Too Fast, Too Furious and mm. the Fast and the Furious movies. So I'm just picturing the one chick who's always played by the same girl. Uh, and she's, like, out there stealing cars, too. And she's, like, dating all the guys. 
You all know exactly who I mean. She's a military girl and everything. I'm trying to remember, uh, but it's not, it's, I'm, I think you're probably imagining some like wayfish blonde. He's like, Ew. I'm not, oh. incidentally. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you, have you never seen the Fast and the Furious movies, Jeff? No, you can, I don't know if this is, um, hmm. anyway. So, um, yeah, if you look her up, she's, she looks a little like Judy Garland, Honestly, she's got like a broad face and dark hair and those like classic 30s eyebrows. It's okay. amazing. Those um, like like moth-like 30s eyebrows. Yes. And she's just got like this thick, luscious, curly, dark hair that's just parted in the middle and just like falls in waves around her face. And So definitely the girl I was picturing is Michelle Rodriguez from oh, the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, uh, Tell me this yes. lady's name again. Virginia Hill. Okay, let's see what we got here. She does not have an IMDb picture. <laughs> Why are you looking her up on IMDb? Why, what else are you going to look her up on? The internet. Yeah, where the IMDb is. Google her. I mean, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, she kind of looks like every girl from that era. Yeah. She a little bit like uh, um, Lorelai Gilmore. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Anyway, this is a you sidebar. Can cut whatever you want out of that. <laughs> yeah, none of that's interesting. Anyway, uh, go ahead. So yeah, I didn't really have time to get much into her, but you should look her up. She's pretty cool. The queen of the mob. The queen of the mob. So they're together in California in 1945. Though Siegel decides to move to Vegas because he knows that gambling is legal in some capacity there. Now, this is before Vegas as we know it. It was basically just a small western town in the desert, but it was, and honestly didn't get a ton of tourism yet, but this is, he's kind of one of the people who kick-started that tourism casino gambling industry. Mm -hmm. So at this time, <laughs> Billy Wilkerson owner of the Hollywood Reporter and several nightclubs on the Sunset Strip was already building a hotel in Vegas in an attempt to create a new tourist destination and re recreate the success of the Sunset Strip. And he's also looking to Europe for inspiration. So he's, he's starting to build this European-style hotel with a spa, a health club, golf course, nightclub, showroom, and a restaurant. But this is immediately post-World War II, so materials and construction costs are like super high because we just spent all the money and all the resources building planes. Right. Yeah. So here comes Siegel who hears that this guy's building this hotel. It's going to be super nice and fancy. And so uh, Siegel convinces Wilkerson to let him in as a partner. And so Siegel starts hitting up all his mobster friends in New York for money to build this, to finish building this hotel. And he eventually kind of pushes Wilkerson out as he takes control of the whole thing. And the building costs rose from what started out as $1.5 million to $6 million. Yeah. That's a big change. That is a big jump. So... At the time, people weren't really sure what was going on or wherever this, these estimates were coming from. It opened in 1946, and he named it the Flamingo in reference to Virginia Hill's nickname, referring to her long legs and red hair. 
apparently it's red. <laughs> oh, how cool. That's, um, I mean, like, if you're going to be queen of the mob, at least you get a hotel named after you. I mean, I think it's only fitting. So the opening event was December 26, 1946. It had different, you know, famous entertainers there. There was a comedian, Jimmy Durante, and Cuban band leader Xavier Cugat. Whoever that is, I don't, like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. If you're into it, check it out, guys. Yeah. There were also celebrities rumored to attend Clark Gable, Joan Crawford, and George Sanders. Wow. Yeah. That was a good turnout. Yeah. So he had kind of like a ritzy opening, but that was kind of it. Like it was also kind of a failure because that not a lot of other people showed up. Um, it was mostly still a local scene at the time. <laughs> like there wasn't, there just wasn't the infrastructure built up yet to accommodate like a bunch of VIPs and also a bunch of VIPs who were like, why would I go to some random place in the middle of the desert? They hadn't finished the hotel yet, so there wasn't really anywhere for them to stay. (laughs) So it was kind of like not great. The locals also didn't like it because it wasn't a typical Western like saloon type thing. It wasn't, it just wasn't their thing. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can imagine like your average quote townie like <laughs> who's used to their dive bar and something flashy and hipstery show like you know gets built and they're like mm, no thank you please right <laughs> so so because the hotel wasn't built yet the guests who did come and did gamble they were also allowed to take their winnings and leave it wasn't they didn't have that same incentive to stay and like it's you know have your all of your winnings in the house and then like cash out at the very end and they somehow entice you to keep playing until you lose. Right. So they kind of ended up losing money. In the first week, the Flamingo lost $300,000. Yeah. Wow. That's almost as bad as a Trump casino. Yeah, I know. They had to also close uh, two weeks later while they were completing the 200 hotel rooms. They opened again on March 1st, 1947, kind of rebranding as the Fabulous Flamingo. But it continued to kind of like not do very well. It was kind of struggling along. They kind of picked up a little bit, but all of his mobster friends who had invested all this money start asking him where it is. And also Uh-oh. they start wanting to look at his books because they're they have questions about why this $1.5 million cost turned into six million dollars so did he have a good reason (laughs) he did not oh no (laughs) no so they traced those cost hikes in the building process back to him and basically surmised that he was falsely inflating the costs and pocketing the extra money that's a bold move for somebody who's aware of the violent mafia. <laughs> I know. As someone who is in charge of enforcing the law of the mafia, you'd think he'd want... They're just like to... not going to enforce it against you? Yeah, like, I don't know. It's the mafia. I know. Yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. So even his his oldest friend and partner, Meyer Lansky, who is also a partner in the Flamingo, he was like really... He was, quote, deeply angered by his friend's deceit, theft, and betrayal. Yeah. And even Lucky Luciano had put money into the business. And after he saw how terribly it went at the beginning, uh, he demanded his money back, which Siegel refused. 
Because he didn't have it. Because he didn't have it. And so people surmise that about this time, a hit was called out. Yeah. yeah. So He's lucky he made it this fucking far. I know, right? He, I, he knew kind of what was going on. He apparently built himself his own little apartment on the premise of the Flamingo at, with walls that were like three feet. He basically, he basically built a bunker with three feet wall, thick walls that he would just kind of hide out in. Which, so he wasn't a total idiot. He, he was just real dumb. Yeah. I think he just kind of like got in over his head and he's like, well, this is going to happen. Maybe I can, uh, <laughs> maybe I can just hunker down and wait it out. He also decided to go back to California in June so he was kind of hanging out at his at at Virginia's Beverly Hills home. I think he also he had installed like steel plated doors or something because he again he knew people were coming for him. Mm-hmm. Apparently also around this time he and Virginia got into a huge fight which was also apparently pretty normal for them and she was like fuck this I'm going to Paris and so she left. Um, Wait, so two people raised in the mafia maybe don't have the best relationship making skills? Yeah, you know what? I was surprised too. (laughs) It's almost like violent sociopaths aren't good at holding down normal relationships. Weird. (laughs) Strange. Unexpected to say the least. I, I, uh, you know, when you're looking for a balanced person, I think mobsters. Exactly. So June 20th, uh, Siegel is meeting with an associate at Virginia's Beverly Hills home. Again, with the the enforced door, he was paranoid enough to know that people were coming for him, but not smart enough to realize that windows are a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's meeting with an associate when a barrage of gunshots breaks through the window, killing Siegel instantly. Honestly, he got off lucky. Yeah. They could have been taking all of his fingernails and toenails oh. and testicles. Oh, Yeah. They could have drawn it out. Yeah. They were respectful of it. No, him. it was very quick. So it was kind of like a drive-by, like, through the window. Um, I think there's photos of it. Um, Let's not. Yeah. I. It's it's like those classic 40s crime scene photos that just look very weird. Anyway, so he's dead. So at the same time, back in Vegas, Lucky Luciano's there, and he gets notified that Siegel is dead. And he decides to barge into the Flamingo and claim ownership of the hotel and casino. So uh, the murder is officially still unsolved. (laughs) But I think we have some good ideas about who's responsible. So, yeah. So so this guy's dead. Super fucking dead. This guy's dead. The guy who wanted him dead happens to be in Vegas right in time to claim ownership of the hotel. Um, Amazing how that works out. Weird. What a fucking coinkydink. Yeah, so it continues to be kind of well-known mob place until uh, 1967 when it when it's purchased by millionaire Kirk Kirkorian, which ends any association with organized crime and the mob. So it is currently owned and operated by Haraz Entertainment. Ooh. Oh. They own the Haunted Valleys that we talked about last week, too. Oh, well, that's fine. And it's, uh, it's Harris, just so you know. Hurrah! Hurrahs. Does anybody um, really know? <laughs> I mean... Yes. It was my grandma's favorite casino. Harris. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine. 
Um, Her local though was the Ho Chunk. She did love the Ho Chunk too. I'm sorry. The Ho Chunk. It's a it's a um, Mid Wisconsin people. Oh, okay. Ho Chunk Native Americans. Oh yeah. Okay. But it's a great name, isn't it? So. We're not just here to hear about mobsters, even though it is very fun and I could listen to it all day. I've always wanted to be a good fella. Right? <laughs> so, it, of course, the flamingo is allegedly haunted by our dear departed Bugsy Siegel. He, I, I can't remember if he's buried there or I think, you know, I think it's just a memorial. There's a memorial to him in the Rose Garden there on the grounds. And he is often seen just walking around the garden. Guests have also reported seeing a dark figure standing at the foot of their beds at night, which is... Oh, so he's a lawyer. I mean, are we surprised? That's true. Yeah. Guests have also heard whispers and have seen and heard doors opening and closing on their own. Um, Huh. Yeah. There was some... There's some like videos online on YouTube of like people filming things in their hotel rooms and it's always hard to tell what is it is what is the yes. truth. There was one that I was like pretty convinced of. I was like, "Oh my god, oh god." And then I read the comments because always I I don't know why I do, but everyone was pointing out that there's like this one part where it's like the camera is on this guy eating cotton candy and then you hear this loud bang and then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, the drawer of the dresser opened on its own. And everyone was commenting like, no, you can see the dresser drawers are already open in the mirror before it pans or before the sound happens. So it was probably already open, blah, blah, blah. Nice um, try, buddy. Yeah. But there's also some like weird curtains moving, which I guess could also be a string. I don't know. I'm so cynical, yeah. but I want to believe. I know. I know. I... <laughs> I, it's it's so hard mm-hmm. to take people's word on the internet. Yeah. But when we're having an experience like live, like when we're talking with the, with our good friends Scott and Amber Rose from mm-hmm. Ghostly Talk, and they're talking about seeing teal, bright blue balls of light mm-hmm. in Nantucket, I'm like, yeah, yeah, fucking <laughs> ah. <laughs> but then... You know, when we're reading these things online, you're like, sure, motherfucker, whatever you do, whatever to get yeah. your 15 minutes of fame. Why do I sound like I'm a mobster now? <laughs> Say. Yeah, it's, hey, buddy, oh, buddy, oh, pal. Oh, yeah, thank you, wise guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. But, okay, so there's also been stories about people seeing him in the presidential suite in the hotel. And also in the wedding chapel, which apparently is built on the site of where his old apartment was. So, oh. I mean, that makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, honey, let's get married. Spur of the moment. Okay, come right in here to the wedding chapel. Uh, why does this church have three foot thick walls? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. What's um? What's going on here? Yeah, I just like. Why can't I escape? When you shut this door, you can't hear me scream anymore. <laughs> That's. It's yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's the same structure, but it's one of the same. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm sure not. No, yeah. I mean super romantic with three foot walls and right. Just a just a nice bunker feeling to it. It's cute. Well, you know, romance is uh, open to interpretation. It really there's, is. You know, there's a lot of different ways to be romantic, and I. 
I'm not here to kink shame. Yep. So. Well, yuck your yum. Yeah. Um. So he's also seen lounging by the pool, and he's also not surprisingly seen at or not seen. I don't know. There's reports from the house where he was killed, Beverly Hills. The house has been sold and resold a bunch of times, but later owners still report feeling panicked in the living room. They occasionally see an apparition of a man attempting to run for cover. And yeah, so that's fun. Also, if you are interested in the mob and its history and its history in Vegas, there is the Mob Museum in Vegas. I would go to that. I would 100% go to that. Um, All right, so planning our vacation, that's where we're going. Yeah, so it looks really cool. So if you're in the area, definitely go. If there are any people who know that place and listen, tell us about it. I want to know. Yeah, um, take a bunch of pictures cool. and tell us everything you know. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Bugsy Siegel and the Flamingo, the fabulous well, Flamingo. That's super awesome. Uh, speaking of Las Vegas museums. Mm-hmm. I've got one for you. Nobody can visit it. I will say uh, up front, (laughs) sad. In 2011, this museum did close. Oh. They do not think permanently. They are looking for a new location. Do they have, what's their funding situation? This is, well, that's a great question. (laughs) So the museum in question is the Liberace Museum. Oh my God. And we will be talking about the life of Liberace, who was a fucking fascinating person. Oh, I can't wait. I don't think I necessarily would have liked him, Mm. but he certainly is interesting. The museum is the object uh, de haunt, and we'll circle back to it. Let me tell you a little bit about his life. He was born in 1919. He was best known as a pianist, but he's also a singer and an actor. He was born in West Allis, Milwaukee. West Allis is its own town in Wisconsin, but it's part of the greater, greater Milwaukee area. He was a child prodigy. And the son of Polish and Italian parents. His real name, and this is, you know how you struggled a second ago? Yep. (laughs) I I struggle with Polish names. I'm ready with this. I'm ready for this. So I'm going to spell it for you first, and then I'm going to give it my best shot. And guys, if I get it wrong, we're just going to call him Walter and Liberace throughout. So I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. All right. So W-L-A-D-Z-I-U. Nope. I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think in Polish... The W is pronounced V. Yeah. So I think it's Vladzwe. <laughs> That's my best guess, Vladzwe. But they, he went by Walter in the family. Okay. And of course, his stage name was Liberace or Mr. Showmanship. Oh. Which my God. He actually TM'd. Oh my TM, God. TM 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 TM. I love that. I know. Isn't that so great? He was death-defyingly extra. Like, he is the most extra, extra, extra. I aspire to be his level of extra. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that throughout. He was most famous throughout the 50s to the 70s. Oh, my God. I and... just Googled him. Oh, my God. He's quite the face, right? The pictures are fabulous. <laughs> yes. Just you fucking wait, my darling. Just okay. you wait. All right. I'm just going to gaze at it. During the 50s to the 70s, he was actually the highest paid entertainer in the world. Oh, my God. Everybody knew Liberace. So my grandma was a, you know, southwestern Michigan housewife, Mm -hmm. farmer's daughter. And she, I called her yesterday. I was like, Grandma, tell me what you know about Liberace. And she was like, well, 
<laughs> everybody knew who he was. <laughs> and no. I was like, did you like him? And she said, no. no. Uh, she thought he was very, very talented. But uh, effectively, he was so showy, she found him annoying. I mean, what and... I'm seeing is kind of like an Elton John meets Dracula. He makes Elton John look like a sedate... <laughs> underdressed. Right, underdressed, um, austere introvert. Yeah. <laughs> this guy... Now, Elton John certainly is right along the same line. He's the heir apparent for certain. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Just a lot of capes. A lot of capes. And you know I do love a cape. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of capes. I'm literally wearing a cape right now. Oh my god. <laughs> of course I am. It's well, it's warm. So yeah, he is the most extra, extra, extra. He was so popular, he was inescapable. He had a television series, he played popular music. He was in movies. He made the news all the time. He was very popular. Now, I have to gross myself out here for just a second. Okay. He was born in <laughs> call. I know you don't like childbirth. But I on. do not. And this is particularly <laughs> gross-tastic. Oh, no. To me. But a lot of other people are into it and, and go with God. Um, this is one of my particular phobias. I don't like childbirth. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Oh, my gosh. And, like, I can't. If you are pregnant right now and you listen to this show, uh, and I know a couple of you are, I love you dearly, and I'm rooting for you, and I'm super excited. Please don't ever make me touch your belly. I will throw up on you. I will not be able to stop myself. (laughs) So as a baby, though, he was born N-Call, E-N-C-A-U-L, two words, N-Call. Only one in every 80,000 births is N-Call. And that was when the baby is born uh, without the waters breaking. Oh, so no. So when the waters break, what's happening is, you know, the baby is within the amniotic sac. Mm-hmm. And so as the birthing process begins, often, oh God, I'm grossing myself out. Yep. <laughs> often the amniotic sac ruptures. And many mm. people, especially if you're in movies or TV, yeah. it's not as common in real life. But it's some, it's often considered the first sign of, of going into stage one of labor. Mm-hmm. So for a baby to be born and call, fully within the call, uh, again, very, very, very rare. Mm-hmm. A call is more common. So a call is when part of the amniotic sac, um, it's kind of a veily, filmy membrane that oh holds... God. You're going to be grossing me out. Dude, I'm going to faint. It's fine. I'm fine. I can get through this. Um, (laughs) Because historically, it's interesting. The the babies that are born with a veil are considered to be very, very lucky. Mm. And if you're born entirely within the call, it's, it's like being born a mermaid. Uh-huh. In fact, I think they're even called mermaid babies. They're they're incredibly lucky. So those calls, all the way back to the time of the Vikings and the Romans, calls were sold to lawyers to help them win cases. What? Midwives would steal them and sell them as a profit. They were sold to sailors to help them avoid drowning. Oh, my God. They were, cons- they were sold to coal miners to stop explosions and fires within the mine. Calls thought were thought to be able to cure malaria, or if somebody was dying, they could slip a piece of a baby's call underneath the mattress to help ease that person into death. There was actually a minor miracle involving a call mm-hmm. that did eventually get explained, so I'll spoil it for myself. Aww. 
normally if a baby is born with a veil, that's a partial call. Mm -hmm. So part of that amniotic sac is, hang on, everything just turned into a tunnel. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm fine. I, it's getting real. I'm fine. I'm not. I don't. I never throw up, so it's cool. Okay. Especially when there's alcohol in me. So. Right. Oh God. Okay. Muscle through. <sighs> yep. Press. Okay. So. <laughs> so. When the baby's out mm-hmm. in as part of like. The cleaning process. Yep. Stay with me. The the call would be removed and often dried. In one instance, the the midwife or doctor, it wasn't clear, removed the call, kind of wiped it off the baby's face, and put it on a side table, and you know, clamped and and um, broke the severed. Um, <sighs> sorry, uh, he cut the cord and got the baby up and running. Whatever, uh-huh. cleaned it off. Yep. And when he turned back to remove the call and give it as a lucky totem to the parents, mm-hmm. they were shocked to find inside the call the, ter- the, f- the phrase, the British and Foreign Bible Society. I'm sorry, what? And f- yep. The British uh-huh. and Foreign Bible Society written on the call. What? Yep. Why? The British what? and Foreign Bible, because it was a miracle, Jen. Jesus said, ah. <laughs> This baby shall carry my endorsement. Is this an existing club that he can join or what is happening? (laughs) Well, it turns out they are people who produce Bibles. And when you put a wet film sack on a leather um, and ink, uh, that it leaves a, it'll come up. And when you pick that, sack up mm-hmm. later yep it it will say it will lift oh. like like the silly buddy of the damned <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh yep. that's horrible oh god so, you did this to uh, yourself i just want to point out <laughs> i am always the author of my own destruction <laughs> that is my standard operating procedure oh no anyway let's so people who are born either with a veil or and call, which mm-hmm. is the complete fucking sack. Yep. Are are considered very, very lucky yeah. in, throughout their lives that they will have good things happen to them. On side note, for those of you who are a little too superstitious about that, Liberace was actually one of a twin. The other twin didn't make it, so how fucking lucky was he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so this man spends his entire childhood being told that he is special and lucky and good things will happen to him. Hmm. And that's going to come into play later. All right. Oh, hang on. I just need to... You know, take a break if you need it. I just need to... It's fine. I'm fine. Okay. Okay. So... Okay. Okay. So his father, Salvatore, whose nickname that he went by was Sam, he played the French horn and he he pushed through a love of music to his children. Mm -hmm. They actually had four kids... And one of his other sons, who unfortunately I didn't write down the name because I'm an asshole, mm-hmm. uh, he actually played violin along with Liberace as part of his show. Mm. The family was often involved in the Liberace TV show. Mm. So he started 
playing piano and it was very apparent that he was a prodigy mm-hmm. at age four. So he, by seven, he was memorizing complex pieces. He was inspired by a Polish pianist, and forgive me, I'm going to butcher this again, mm-hmm. Igor Pederuski, I believe, Igor Pedruski. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. Oh, no. <laughs> Forgive us. So Pajewski came to the Pabst Theater, which is the main theater in Milwaukee, and he got to go backstage and meet his hero, and he was inspired. He said that he took to practicing piano in a way that made the way he was practicing before look like neglect. Mm. So he was really into it. He played piano for local movie theaters, dance classes. He played on local radio in clubs, weddings, cabarets, and even strip clubs, especially through the 1930s when money was really tight. The Great Depression was really rough on Milwaukee. Yeah. So as he was a young man, he really loved gentle things. He didn't want to play baseball with the neighborhood boys. He liked to paint. He loved to cook, which was a passion he kept his entire life. And he was regularly mocked for being effeminate. And so he really dove into his music. That was his release. And he developed a style where he would combine local pop songs and and even you know in the in the emerging radio markets that were national those traveling national songs and so he took the popular song uh three little fishies which you can find online and in one of his early shows inside a club he played it in the in the style of different classical composers so you know here's the original song three little fishies Mm -hmm. and now here's how handel would play it and here's how beethoven would play it uh, there's actually a lot of comics, music comics, who, who mm. do that same thing today. If yeah. you ever want to hear a good version, Paco Bell's Rant. Oh, my God. really good. You're familiar? Yes. It's very- of course, I don't remember the artist's name, but yeah, I'll put it on the if you Google, page later. If you Google Paco Bell Rant, that's P-A-C-H-A-B-E-L, Paco Bell. Um, I think I think not with the A, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, you'll find it. Paco Bell's rant. Listen, children, to my story. So he talks about uh, Paco Bell's rant, how the cello part uh, from Paco Bell is haunting him through all these pop Paco Bell's songs. Canon. So it's the same. Yeah. Um, da, 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 which is the violin part, which I learned, which is way more interesting than the cello part, right. which is eight notes da, over da, and over da, and over da, da, again. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's definitely stand-up comedy worth looking into. But mm-hmm. so, so that same idea is being played here in these music halls. So... He started taking this idea and running with it. It got him really popular. And at a time when they needed money in hand, it was a way for him to get work. Mm. He eventually developed a style that he called classical music without the boring parts. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I honestly, maybe I would have liked him. I'm a little flashy. I'm a little sassy. Uh, but there's a darker side, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Oh, yeah. He became an entertainer, so he wasn't just a guy who played the piano and told a couple jokes. He developed a stage personality. Uh, He interacted with the audience. He invited them to come up 
at the sh- at the end of the show, he would give little piano lessons. He would have them touch his priceless pianos. He would have them touch his hands. He would, if they followed him to various shows, he would inquire about their health and their family. He was very personable and open and welcoming. And so he also uh, got into the staging side of things. He got in, in, he paid attention to details in lighting and sound design and cues. He developed a brand. His brand did include a candelabra. That was kind of his logo. Hmm. And it, he also had these priceless pianos, some that were covered in gold leaf. Some were covered in rhinestones and mirrors. He had a collection of strange pianos that he would feature in his house and in his shows. So around this time, as his fame is growing, he moves to L.A. where he starts playing the supper club scene. He is playing the piano and joking along. I would imagine very similar to how Max Wiseman jokes along with David Leonard. Hmm. David Leonard? David Letterman. Yes, (laughs) that's the one. That's the, that's the, I'm also retired. Have you read the news in the past 10 years? I I go to bed. I don't know. Who's, I don't think I can tell you who the, I mean, like, oh my God. Okay. Jimmy Fallon in the Roots. Is that Jimmy Fallon? I think that's a thing. Yep. And I think Max Weinsman is wrong too. I think it's Max Weisberg. I don't know. Whatever. I go to bed. All right. I'm taking a new one. You can only name Uh, one of the late night hosts. Who's, who else exists? Who's around? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, Seth Does Myers. he have a band leader? They all basically do. See, that's what I need. I need the yeah. band leader's name. I don't know. Well, Jen, you're useless to me. Okay. So I'm sticking with what I have. All right. I think he was joking through these supper club things like Max and David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Wise. Blah, blah, blah. I, they haven't been a thing for a while, but it's whatever. Fine. <laughs> yeah, the E Street Band, regardless. So his, as his act grew, his fame grew, he was actually mentioned in a very famous song. It's still famous today. You know it, but I promise me, you, I promise you don't know the band. Um, the band is called the Cordettes. Do you remember what their famous hit was? No. Mr. Sandman. Oh, my God. Bring me a dream. Oh, my God. So, uh, at, one, at the end of the song, they're talking about, you know, build me this man like... Give give him a face like Valentino, mm-hmm. and then give him curvy or curvy hair, curly wavy hair like Liberace. So he was kind of like listed as sort of a huh. sex symbol by the Cordettes in 1954. Uh, he started hobnobbing with royalty. Ooh. He built a custom piano themed house, extra extra extra. That is amazing. It, inc- <laughs> it included a keyboard styled pool. And he had all sorts of endorsements, uh, and all throughout, all throughout, the critics hated him. At the, you know, they're fine critics. There's, they're playing, you know, the finest opera houses in the world. And then this guy comes through, and he's blowing the roof off and making what used to be fine art mm. uh, available and accessible to the masses. So critics, fine critics, hated him. <laughs> and he said, after getting a particularly rough review he wrote a thank you letter to the person who wrote the review and he said after reading your amusing review uh my brother and i laughed all the way to the bank Hmm. Ah, suck it (laughs) he even got to be he got to play uh himself and his evil twin on an episode of batman (gasps) i know are you even really famous if you're not on batman he looks like the penguin doesn't he does look like a batman villain yeah (laughs) yeah specifically the penguin yes yeah but like a flamboyant version of the penguin. Yeah. If 
I mean, the penguin's already pretty flamboyant. Yeah, but, like, but, in a black and white kind of way, because it's got to be true. on brand. But, like, yeah. Liberace's, like, way more technicolor. Like, imagine the penguin. If the penguin and Elvis got together and had a piano-loving baby. Holy shit. That's Liberace. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he actually developed out of these clubs into a smash hit TV show. And again, like my grandma said, he was hard to escape. It was very like his club shows. And he ended each show with the same song, another song that you'll know. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. Okay. And that kind of like became his like sign off. Mm -hmm. He developed an international fame as well. So he started playing first in Havana, which was the big nightlife scene through the 50s and early 60s. And he actually gave the first televised command performance of Queen Elizabeth II. So today, uh, that event is, has been televised ever since. Today, it's known as the Royal Variety Hour, or what? the Royal Variety Performance. Oh, have I never heard of this? How have you never heard of this? Has, I believe Jack White usually hosts it, I think. What? Jack White? Yeah. Okay, good. You know who no, that I is. I know who right? that is. Okay. I'm just like, I'm what? always a little bit scared. <laughs> well, I know. I do no, have some major blind spots, but fortunately, I know who he is. Well, you're in school. I watch TV all day, so yeah. it's fine. But not late at night. Then <laughs> I go to bed. <laughs> so he actually, again, he was a devout Catholic, the son of Polish and Italian immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. And he, on his international tour, he got to play for Pope Pius Twelfth, which he considered to be the highlight of his life. Wow. Yeah. So here's where Liberace comes off the rails a little bit for me. Okay. Oh, <laughs> like, no. Pianos, pools, capes. I'm there for it. I love it. I'm about it. He was a devout Catholic, mm-hmm. a rampant capitalist, and a strict conservative. Okay. In addition to being ragingly homosexual. I there. I know people like that. They're like snowflakes or they're like unicorns. It's like... Or like, I don't know, I've I've met one gay Republican, and I'm always puzzled and angered by them. But sure, unicorns. You know what? That's a nicer way to say it. Yeah, they exist. You know, they exist. Um, So anyway, this is where he and I lose each other. (laughs) He, He was homosexual, but he denied it vehemently Mm -hmm. his entire life which i can understand well i mean yeah people who especially who are very religious it's it can be very difficult to reconcile and he also he knew where his bread was buttered Mm -hmm. who was his audience yeah it wasn't the permissive high cultured artistic circles of europe Mm -hmm. it was middle america put him on top yeah And he would not have been as successful. Now, I did ask my grandma about this. Mm -hmm. I was like, did you know she was gay? And she was like, yes, Katie, I had eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Sick sick burn Doris, thanks. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, she she gets me when she can. Point to Doris. (laughs) She, She was like, yeah, everybody knew he was gay, but his managers worked really hard to put him with emerging starlets. Mm. He discovered a lot of people. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. He was regularly seen on his arm was Betty White. Oh, my Ooh. God. Yeah. When she was an emerging star, the studio frequently used her as a beard oh for Liberace. Oh, my God. 
I know. That's amazing. Yeah. So his show is growing and growing and growing. He's played for the Pope. He gets more extravagant all the time. He had a horrible accident, November 22nd, 1963. Mm -hmm. An important date. November 22nd, 1963, he had uh, some of his costumes cleaned at a dry cleaner in Philadelphia. And the costumes were cleaned incorrectly. The fluid for dry cleaning was never successfully removed from the costumes. And so he was in a small chamber, his dressing room, inhaling these, these fumes so much so that it actually gave him kidney failure and he passed out. He slipped into oh renal failure. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he was rushed to the hospital. They they had to work very hard to save him. He would never recover fully from the kidney failure. Hmm. It, it was In the long run, it was going to be terminal. That's, wow. So his kidneys were going to shut down eventually. When he came to the next day, he, a devout Catholic, had to be told that... Our president, uh, um, Kennedy, had been killed. (laughs) I knew where you were going with this. I was just curious to see how long it would take you to get there. (laughs) I mean, I was like, Lincoln? No, that's not right. Garfield, keep going. Too late. (laughs) Too early, I mean. Yeah, so he was heartbroken to hear about that, but he had to focus on getting better. Mm -hmm. So when he was effectively back on his feet, that's when he became Mr. Showmanship. Mm. If you thought he was extra before, well, now yeah. he, well, he, he, the, the talk, the TikTok man, the clock was running right. and he knew that he had to make a splash while he could. And so he became more extravagant. He returned to Las Vegas. That's when he named himself Mr. Showmanship. Oh my God. He called himself a one man Disneyland. He planned incredible entrances and exits including being brought on with a rope system, a trapeze system, so he could come on like Peter Pan. That's amazing. He was driven on and off his stage in a Rolls Royce. He had costumes that were bigger and louder and more feathered than ever. The dances and chorus girls had more intricate and amazing dances and tricks and aerobics. <laughs> and he brought on bigger guests. He One of the first guests that he she ever played anywhere else was Barbara Streisand. Liberace basically discovered Barbara Streisand. Of course he did. Okay, I think I figured it out. I think he's like he's like if Elton John, Johnny Weir, and Lady Gaga just like got put into a blender. Holy shit, that would be the loudest blender in the whole world. Well, and here we go. Yeah. It's like he like he died and he and he could not be reincarnated into one person because that's just too much for anyone. It was too much. And so he got split. I you know what? I think that's a sound theory, Jeff. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout the 70s and 80s, he actually stayed in Vegas. He was doing uh, shows regularly. He wanted to do a million things. He owned an antique store in Beverly Hills. Mm. He had a restaurant in Las Vegas where he regularly took people. Oh, you were on my show. You had a great time. Come on, I'll cook you dinner at my restaurant. And he would go in and he would cook for people. He published cookbooks. He published autobiographies. He was never quite done. He actually uh, got into real estate a little bit. This is a fun fact. There's a home, I believe in Manchester, that is called Tower House. Hmm. So he was going to buy it. He had an agreement, but he had yet to put down a down payment. So another actor who was also interested in the piece found out he didn't put down the down payment, put down the down payment, and stole it. Guess who that actor is? I cannot. Dumbledore, Richard Harris. (gasps) 
Oh, yeah. OG Dumbledore. The original Dumbledore. Oh my god. That's right. Now, that was in 1972. The same thing happened in 1979. Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin stole the house from David Bowie. <laughs> oh my I god. Know. David Bowie, love of my life. Oh, what a guy. Now, there was an entertainer at the time of the 1969 house thievery. His name was Danny LaRue. And he came on a tour of the house with Liberace right before Liberace tried to buy Tower House. And he said that while he was there, he sensed evil. Hmm. So uh, Harris, who moved into the property, stole it out from under Liberace. Harris agreed with that. And throughout this time in the house, he spent about five years there. He believed through a number of small occurrences that they don't really discuss, um, that it was haunted by the children of an orphanage that used to stand on that spot. And so the only way that Richard Harris could get the voices to stop was by buying toys for children at a local store and putting them around the house to appease their spirits. No. Jimmy Page apparently did the same thing. Okay. I know, fun, right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. All right, so make no mistake, this guy was gay. Mm-hmm. He denied it, denied it, denied it, denied it. But he was sued by the Daily Mirror. I'm sorry, no. He was he sued the Daily Mirror. That's they usually wrote, how it goes. Yeah. It's the <laughs> Daily fucking Mirror. The Daily Mirror wrote a piece on him. It was a review written by a female writer. And the the piece heavily implied that he was a homosexual. And that incensed Liberace. Hmm. So he sued the Daily Mail. And he actually won 8,000 pounds, which is $193,000 today. Wow. It's quite a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sorry, one, 193,000 pounds today. Oh, yes, uh, yes. In dollars, it would be different. So he sued the Daily Mirror. He won because she called him a fruit fly. And the, the implication was that if you're a fruit uh, to an American, you're saying that they're gay. Oh, right. So that was the nail in the coffin was the term fruit fly. Oh, now, what's also interesting about him, are you familiar with the film Behind the Candelabra by HBO? Oh, I have definitely heard of it, but I haven't seen it. So it is a Steven Soderbergh film. It mm-hmm. came out in 2013. It was a big, big on the festival circuit, I believe. I think it yeah, that won the Palme right. d'Or. Yeah, Soderbergh. Um, it's starring Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. And Matt Damon and uh, Michael Douglas. Okay. Michael Douglas plays Liberace, mm-hmm. and Matt Damon is his spurned lover boy. Oh, my God. In 1982, a former employee, probable lover, Scott Thorson, T-H-O-R-S-O-N, took Liberace to court for palimony. It was the very first homosexual palimony case in United States history. Uh-huh. Palimony? It's yeah. alimony for men. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, alimony. All right. So if Dan ever leaves me, he has to continue to pay for me. Right. Because I don't make shit and I'm accustomed to a certain style of life. Yes, you certainly are. (laughs) Middle of the middle. (laughs) Right. Anyway. But if I lived, if I didn't have Dan and I was just living by myself, I would be homeless (laughs) homeless yeah. <laughs> I would be I would be living on the streets and so it's common in American divorce 
to have alimony or palimony suits as part of a divorce settlement, or you can sue for it if there is no settlement. In the case of Scott Thorson, he had been living not only as an employee, but as an in-house lover, Uh. and they had been together for five years, starting when Scott was just 18. Okay. Uh, Thorson was actually incorporated into... A Liberace show. Remember before when I said he drove, he was driven around on and off the stage in a Roll, Roll, Rolls Royce? Yes. Thorson drove the Rolls. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he actually, and this is kind of gross, Thorson was asked by Liberace or suggested by Liberace to get plastic surgery, which he did get, in order to look more like Liberace. Oh my God. Yeah. So can you imagine if. David said to you, hey, you should grow a beard like mine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I'm such a good looking person, you should grow it too. Right. Like, Obviously. Just the, the mania of that kind of thought is really interesting to me. To be so into yourself, you want your lover to look like you. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a classic narcissism right there. Isn't yeah. It? And, and like, I'm a classic narcissist, but Jesus Christ. I don't need Dan to have huge tits. I don't know. Call me crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, so they did actually, in the end, settle out of court. Liberace denied, denied, denied the whole thing. But in the end, he did give Thorson $75,000, three different cars, and $20,000 worth of dogs. Oh, what? Wait, what? Huh? Yep. <laughs> yep. What? Yep. Yep. Wait. What kind Three of dogs, dogs are we talking? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, this is either a million dogs <laughs> right? or like three really expensive ones. Yeah, so three dogs worth $20,000. Oh. I can't. I don't know. Maybe because Gambit was free. Yeah. I, I've never paid for a dog ever in my life. No, I mean, Craigslist is a great place to find pets If you're paying sometimes. for a dog, I'm going to look slightly askance at you. Yeah. It's, I don't Adopt, know. don't shop. Adopt, don't shop. I don't want to, again, I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum. If you're into like showbreed dogs. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, like if the, okay, the people, some people are really into the certain kind of dog that they're into. And I like, that's right. fine. Also, right. some purebred dogs are, should not exist. So there's another Pugs. thing. Pugs shouldn't yeah. exist, but I kind of want one just because they're so so adorably helpless. They are sad. super adorable. But I would never buy I'm one a big fan. because I don't want to support their inbreeding. So, well, and they have they have some issues. So they have they're not they're not so easy many, dogs to take care of. Well, they have so many issues because they're so inbred, which is yeah awful. But like they're so cute. <laughs> they're like Kentucky Mountain cousins who are just adorable. Oh, I mean, they got at least the good <laughs> end of that stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyways, um, so Liberace settled out of court, 75, mm-hmm. three cars, yep. $20,000 worth Shit, of dogs. Man. One of the reasons that he settled in, and, and one of the reasons that Thorson backed off from his original suit was that both of them knew by, by 1985, mm-hmm. they settled in 1986, mm-hmm. Liberace was HIV positive. Oh, he was diagnosed in 1985 in Vegas. Uh. Yeah. So a number of his partners, people would keep coming out even after his death in 1987, saying not only am I, you know, a positive status, mm-hmm. but also I got it from Liberace. Yeah. So 
I mean, it was never a question. The eighties were real, like real rough time. The AIDS crisis. The eighties when it. Oh my god, the AIDS crisis. If you ever really want to break your heart, you read about the AIDS crisis. Yep. Because Liberace was so closeted, he actually never sought treatment. Mm. And with that, combined with his renal disease, time was short. Yeah. Um, He died January, I'm sorry, February 4th, 1987. Wow. AZT treatment. Are you familiar with AZT? No. AZT was one of the first FDA-approved drugs that could delay the onset of HIV. Oh, is this some like Dallas Buyers Club stuff? I did see I've never that seen movie. Dallas Buyers Club, but they <laughs> certainly reference it frequently in rent. Okay. Well I've probably so you know when, seen the and heard references to it. Yeah. Um like Mimi's like her pager goes off and she's like, oh, time for an AZT break. Gotcha. And that's how she and Roger find out that they have a shared status. Yeah. And it makes him like he he was unwilling to form a relationship with her because he was HIV positive. But because she has it too, then it's all fine. I watched that movie too late in life. I don't have the same fond memories of it as you do. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> anyway, so he just one month later, uh, AZT would be available uh, March nineteenth of nineteen eighty seven. So gotcha. he could have sought treatment. There were early clinical trials. He was certainly powerful enough to get them, mm-hmm. but he was a marked man and he let it go. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Now he did leave almost everything to a foundation. He left four million dollars in cash, the licensing to all of his images, uh, music, books, all of his costumes, his jewelry, his antiques, his art, his cars, wow. and everything oh to what becomes the Liberace Foundation and Liberace Museum. Wow. Okay. Throughout their years, up through 2011, mm-hmm. they have given away six million dollars in scholarships to up-and-coming musicians. So everything is to help young musicians, which I think is a very noble and cool thing. Admirable. Fortunately, in 2011, the museum had to fold. The property in Las Vegas that they were occupying, Las Vegas real estate seems insane. Mm -hmm. So they do still have the body of the collection, Mm -hmm. but they no longer have the building. I got a little worried when you said the body. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure they don't have Liberace. But you know what? Thank He's God. so extra, I wouldn't put it past him. You know, he is probably entombed somewhere in that. Is it bad that I never thought to look where he's buried? I'm going to just do a quick spot of Googling. Well, he's in a cemetery, apparently. Forest Lawn Cemetery, Hollywood Hills, California. Honestly, I'm kind of... Okay, well, it is a pretty fabulous tomb, but like... All right. Anyway, while the museum was still in operation, though, anytime there was any sort of renovation going on, Mm -hmm. there would be paranormal disturbances, uh, as if somebody rather particular were watching over these items with great care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Go on. It was temporarily at the Tropicana, and during those renovations, a shadow figure was seen frequently around the artifacts. That same shadow figure was often seen in the dressing room of Liberace and also seen at his restaurant, which now unfortunately has also moved. There's not a whole lot of Liberace left in Las Vegas, which is a real shame because it was his home for well over a decade. I mean, it just seems like the most him city, right? Well, 
I think the patronage of Las Vegas has changed a little bit. Mm. I think maybe he's a little too gay for Las Vegas's image now. That's you know what? That's accurate. Yeah. You know, yes. yep. Um, Las Vegas isn't. I mean, sure, for all the Celine Dion stuff. Yes, and Britney. Uh, it's and Britney and Gaga now too. Man. Gaga. Really so, good. you know, there, there's there is certainly a an appetite for that, mm-hmm. but I think Liberace doesn't quite fit gotcha. that marketing mold. Yeah, no, no. But the foundation does carry on, and they are hoping to find a new residence for the museum. I really hope that they're successful because he's such an interesting person, and he's from Milwaukee, so I feel a certain kinship. Yeah. I looked up my my home address and his home address, mm-hmm. and we only live 12 miles apart. <gasps> Fun. I know. So, yeah, so that's Liberace. He's haunting his stuff. I hope they find something for it soon. Yeah. Do we have a listener story ready to go? We do. We do indeed. Let's hear it. All right. So this one comes from Amanda. And she writes, uh, hey, ladies, I just found you guys and I'm in love. Binge listening now makes my day so much faster at work. Yay. So here's my creepy ghost story for you. I lived in this rental house with a boyfriend and my two children. The first week or so of being there, I noticed little things like the twisty things on curtains starting to sway back and forth. I th- yep. I think to myself, okay, the heat or air just kicked on, no ghost. Yep, sometimes they just catch those cross breezes. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Especially at a window. Yes, yeah. Could just be a draft. Mm. Then in the mornings when I'd be getting up to get ready for work, only being the only one awake, I'd hear the door handle rattle a little. As soon as I'd turn to look at it, it would stop. Little things like this happen for a month, and then it gets stronger. I'm in the bathroom getting ready for work. Again, I hear mama. (laughs) Nope. I turn to look at the door because it sounds like my son, but nobody was there. I look in all three rooms. Boyfriend, son, and daughter are all sleeping. This creeped me out, but I go back to getting ready for work. A couple of days later, again, heading out to work, I'm turning lights off. At the door to go outside, I hear a whisper, where are you going, mama? Nope. No, thanks. No. No, thank you. No, Please. get out. Amanda, get out. In my head, I was like, oh, shit. My son is up, and now I'm going to be late because, well, he doesn't like when I have to leave. I turn around expecting to see him. Nothing. Everyone is sleeping. Holy shit. I tell the boyfriend about this later that day. We decide to call him Johnny. No. No. No, no. It doesn't need a name. No, no, no. What you need is moving boxes. Yes. I didn't look into anything. I didn't want to know anything about what happened in the home. He was pretty quiet and didn't harm anyone. We'd hear him run down the hall often or noises in the kitchen. I'd feel him touch me from time to time, but nothing scary. More like a brush against my leg. Well, I, okay. All right. <laughs> You're a braver woman than I am, darling. I'd be gone. I also just don't like baby ghosts. Yes. Like, thank you. This is what I've been saying all be along. Be an adult or be nothing at all. Exactly. If you are a child and you die, that is very sad, but I do not want to hear from you ever again. <laughs> You just stay right the fuck where we left you. Yep. And be quiet. Children are better seen and not heard. Dead children are better not seen or heard. Ever. 
Please. Please, God. We don't ask for much, people. Embroider that on a cushion. <laughs> Can you imagine if you walked into somebody's house and saw that on a cushion? Yeah. <laughs> I'd leave. Children, dead children should be neither seen nor heard. Yes. Okay. So um, I'd ask the kids if they had seen anything and nothing got brought up. Thank God. Amen. We also had a dog and we'd hear Johnny run down the hall at night. Then the dog would start barking. No, thank you. We'd just say, go to bed, Johnny. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's all you can do is ask it to fucking stop. I mean, yeah. Like, that seems kind of practical. But yes. Okay. But... Yeah, you're a braver woman than I am. Yep. He touched the boyfriend's feet at night sometimes. He touched mine. Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yep. Nope. Uh, nope. He touched mine once. Better my feet than my face or something. LOL. <laughs> what? No. Run away. Run away. <laughs> I was vacuuming the hallway once and I looked up at the boyfriend and the boyfriend was just staring at me with big eyes. I said, what are you looking at? And he said, I just saw your son run into his room. I said, no, my son is at my mom's house. He's like, I know. <laughs> LOL, he saw Johnny. <laughs> That's Jesus I mean, Christ. LOL is one way to interpret that. Right. Again, she's much braver than we are. Yes. He said he looked a lot like my son. I asked what he was wearing and what he described was the exact same outfit I had already set out for him to put on the morning for school. Freaky. Mm-hmm. That was weird. A few months later, we were packing because we were moving into a bigger house. Thank God. Smart. And while packing, my boyfriend heard, why are you leaving me? <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, fucking K, Johnny. Okay. How would you settle down? Maybe, you stay here. Maybe it's you. <laughs> You know what, though? I Okay. Maybe I would be able to show a ghost some compassion. But Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, I'm not into that. Um, Jen's like, nope. Nope. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, she she sympathized, too. Uh, she said, honestly, that broke my heart. I wanted to Aww. tell him he could come with us. No. No. Nope. But I didn't. You don't know what that thing is. Yeah. But I didn't know if I should. No. Yep. You should not. I felt bad leaving this little boy behind. You know what? Well, and you also don't know, you know, like what the rules are. Like maybe exactly. his family, maybe he can see them at night and he can be with them. Like you're basically, if you're like, oh, come with us, Johnny. That's like spiritual kidnap trip. Also, kidnap maybe trip? he is a demon child and There's he will possess you. That. And green slime will roll down the walls. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So right. let's you don't just know. leave it be. No invitations to things you cannot see. Since then, I've experienced or felt other spirits, but I don't know that any of them were Johnny. Well, that's good. Maybe. (laughs) I guess he's... Highly sensitive person. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Well, that was a a good story. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. All right. Well, if I live through this massive winter storm, Jen, I'll see you in a little bit. Hopefully our power stays on and we don't uh, freeze to death or turn to cannibalism and we hope the same for you (laughs) anyway um you can find us online at i think so hang on the website for our show is www.thispodcastishaunted.podbean.com yep uh you can also find us on the social medias we've got a facebook page that we barely use but we do technically have yep so this podcast is haunted on facebook 
We also have a super dope Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And it's This Podcast is Haunted discussion group. We'd love to have you in it. So find us, join us, be with us. It's cool. We also want... What? What do we also we want? Have we also want you to, we have a Twitter and an Instagram. Twitter is haunted underscore pod. Instagram. If you're talking to Twitter, you're talking to Jen. If you're talking to Twitter <laughs> or Instagram, you're talking to me. I have become yeah. worse at it. Um, but if you do talk maybe, at me, I will respond. Maybe because you're like in grad school. Yeah. So, you know, you're you know, busy. It's constant struggle. And if you have a story that you want to email to us, you can find us at this podcast is haunted at gmail.com. Yeah, so and you should fucking do it because yeah. we're cool as hell. We'll read it eventually. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. That's about it. That's all I got. Uh, we'll see you in yeah. a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> still funny. <laughs> yes. Three years later, I still enjoy that. All right. Well, stay spooky, motherfuckers. Yep. Bye. Bye.